Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe, and this week we are going for a poodle around the back of one of London's biggest stations, one of its busiest, and one that has seen in recent years enormous transformation. Hey, baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a strong throw from your front door. from what, to my mind, is the worst piece of art, I think it's meant to be art, in London. We're standing out the back of King's Cross. I've come, I've come to see a young man out the back of King's Cross. Ben Pedrache, a swing in a birdcage, where we're all invited to sit around on benches and essentially spectate a lone child on a swing. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is quite weird. Never really quite understood what the point of it is, but um, there you go. Welcome to London. <laughs> that almost should be the introduction to the entire series rather than just today's podcast. Ben Pedroche, the author of Do Not Alight Here, and many articles and blog posts and uh, take of photographs. Uh, that's about it, really. Yeah, yeah well, that's a pretty good guy. <laughs> and we're here at King's Cross. Uh, for what reason? Well, I thought it might be a nice excuse opportunity if you like to talk about various disused derelict buildings mainly related to the railway in and around king's cross st pancras area there's a whole host of things to see or things that used to be there in this area and it's particularly relevant at the moment because the whole area behind king's cross is is part of a huge redevelopment so there's kind of quite a few hidden bits of history that many people might not know there and some that disappeared, and even some that the history has been reworked into the redevelopment, which I personally find quite interesting. If you haven't been around the back of King's Cross recently, listener, and by recently, what do we mean, like two, two years probably? Yeah, probably about four or five years now. Four or five. We, yeah, and since, you know, if you include in the redevelopment of St Pancras, uh, 2007, around about then, a lot's been going on here, and it's uh, certainly a lot different to what it was in the, in the 70s and 80s, where... Around the back of King's Cross meant something quite different, I think, back then. <laughs> well, yes, let's not beat around the bush. I wish I hadn't used that phrase. This was a hotbed of drugs and prostitution. Absolutely, yeah. And now a pop-up bicycle fair. Cycle Camden has got its all there. Cycle ranks everywhere you please. And this has kind of a hoxton air. There's a lot of people who look like they're working media companies knocking about. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few media buildings around here. And there's the university campus close by as well now, which is part of the huge redevelopment of 
up the old train goods yard. So yeah, it's, uh, it does have a shortage feel now, I guess. Which uh, oh, this, actually, this is one of the few places where gentrification, if that's what we can call it here, has been, I think, embraced wholeheartedly. In other places, people tuck and grumble. Not so much here, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's some people that will miss how this was in the 70s and 80s, but I think most people will agree it's a lot better now and uh, it's brought a lot of new life to the area. I mean, as we're walking now, it's, it's, it's a Tuesday afternoon, it's jam-packed full of people. So, With your specialism in the railways, what's been the redevelopment here? And I'm saying this with in mind the idea of what happened uh, in this same area when the railways first came through, squishing a lot of stuff that was here in the first place, Rookeries, uh, Summerstown, all that jazz. What's been the effect in terms of the railways and the connections and all that stuff of the redevelopment? I mean... There's the big obvious one, of course. Yeah, I mean, mean, you know, this is the terminus of two huge train stations from the Midlands and and the East West Coast. So that's why the train stations were built here in the first place, so it's always about history. And as you say, the train stations, to build them, they, they cleared out a lot of slum areas, a lot of people had to move, a lot of people lost their homes, and then it became a railway, lands if you like, and then within four or five decades it kind of become abandoned and a bit of a slum once again, and now it's kind of been regenerated to something new and, and shiny again. So, but, but that's, that's London, that's the thing that intrigues me about London in general. It's, you know, I hate to sound cheesy and corny here, but it is constantly reinventing itself, regenerating itself. So I, it's just, I don't know, it's kind of in a constant state of flux and a constant state of movement. And uh, I think that's the most interesting thing, really, yet still centred around these two very important, significant railway stations and significant to the rest of the country because this is the portal to so many people from outside of London. They arrive here, so... We've got a few major hubs, uh, mainline hubs. What do they call it on a train ticket? London terminals. Yeah. So we've got a few of those. How does King's Cross stack up against the others? Uh, I do like the redevelopment. Uh, I think in terms of passenger flow, it's, it's got a few problems. But personally, my favourite is next door, St Pancras International, which I probably say is, I think, is the most beautiful train station in London. Now, that's the one where your family could go for a day out and never have to bother themselves with the train and still feel like they've had a satisfactory experience. Correct, yeah. I can just get lost looking at the beautiful glass ceiling for, for, for a long time. I just think it's beautiful. I think the redevelopment they did there was, was absolutely excellent and... As I say, the King's Cross one is good. It's not, personally, I don't think it's quite as nice as St Pancras, but it's good. And it's nice that they've redeveloped the hotel there as well. But yeah, St Pancras would definitely be my favourite. Famous hotel, of course, one of the most beautiful high Gothic structures, isn't it? The curved frontage of that hotel. What, what is it now? It's a very expensive high-end hotel above, uh, above St Pancras. The one that they've redeveloped and reopened in King's Cross, I don't think it's as quite as uh, high-end from what I can gather, but it's still quite expensive. So, <laughs> But yeah, very nice inside, I'm sure. We're coming now to the end of King's Boulevard, and you can go up to a viewing platform there. It looks as though you can probably look across the... Should we have a quick look there? Yeah. I wonder if we can get across. It's like a siege tower, and it allows you, I think, to look across the building works that are going on. Scooting through now, and up an industrial staircase to a wooden platform here that gives us a pretty decent view over the platforms there. We can see the platforms going into the terminal and the minuscule King's Cross Theatre to our left. The thing that's obscured really is all the, uh, all the new structures over our right shoulder. These are pretty much all new, I think. I think it might be student accommodation. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, or maybe even just regular 
apartments. I'm not quite sure. Regular apartments? Uh, Af- affordable housing? <laughs> I doubt it, but uh, regular as in not students. Have we finally found the unicorn? Is this the affordable housing? Yeah, p- potentially. No, but this, area, this view here is actually what I love about this particular area because this whole thing was extremely derelict this is old railway yards so this was a goods yard it was a depot but it was abandoned and derelict so you mentioned seeing the trains uh, at the right at the end of the platform at king's cross that area down there was actually a station at one time called king's cross york road which closed down it was sort of an auxiliary station from the mainline station so it's like waterloo east kind of yeah sort of and then uh, it's now a university campus but this whole area here was Great Northern Railway coal offices and there was a huge amount of sidings where coal trains and freight trains used to sit so if you can imagine this even 40 years ago this was a derelict horrible place and what's also interesting here as well is uh, actually in my second book which was covered uh, disused power stations and gas works this actually was also the home of pancreas gas works which was a huge huge gas production plant with a lot of uh, you know the gas holder rings the the iconic structures some of which are actually being incorporated in, in the development there's a sort of spherical apartment building there uh, and you can kind of mm. see mm. some of the uh, some of the girders they're actually bringing that back as part of the redevelopment and i believe one of the more well-designed gas holder structures is also returning to this site as well uh, which is good. So they're actually maintaining some of its history as a as a gas works. And actually, interestingly, when they were redeveloping this, someone from the development agency actually contacted me to give them some brief history of the area as a, as a gas works. I don't actually know whether they used it in some sort of leaflet or, or paperwork, but I just thought it was quite good that they actually, you know, they're actually not ignoring the fact that this has a, a huge industrial uh, heritage and they're maintaining some of that. So, which I think is quite nice. And I think in somewhere like London that's done so well you know things are repurposed and some things are forgotten about some things are completely lost but some things are maintained so you have a little small trace of what things used to be and people might not know what it was people might not care but it's kind of there and it's sort of if you want to explore and find out what it was you can if you don't then that's fine so it usually skips a generation doesn't it you normally uh, we're so excited about ripping down whatever the last generation did with an area that we forget to record it and forget what might have been good about it and then the next generation harks back to it and and wishes they could revive it in some way yeah absolutely and in fact a good example of that is uh obviously king's cross and st pancras is very close to euston station a good example of that is what they used to call the euston arch which was a huge huge structure that sat right outside Euston Station which is you know literally 10 minutes away walk from here and that was pulled down to much protest and as you say it was kind of forgotten about and now this generation is sort of saying you know that shouldn't have happened let's rebuild it so I think that's a prime example of what you're talking about kind of think people want to see things gone a bit again a bit like Batsy Power Station and Bankside Power Station it's, it's the same kind of thing. Now there's a station that really could use some love. Euston yeah I mean it will be in fact, it may have already began uh, redeveloped as part of the high-speed two line, which will which will terminate at Houston. So, yeah, it's, it's in desperate need of a of a huge rehaul. I don't like that station much at all. No, I, I get the impression that twenty different architects who all hated each other were putting that together. Yeah, absolutely, it does feel that way. Now, this is really interesting to me because having been here umpteen times, I never really realised that the canal was quite so close to the station, nor, nor how big and beautiful it is winding through as we look to the station uh, more or less ahead of us the canal off to our left there narrow boats nestling under the bridge and then it curves off round behind us and i see we've got some some steps there do we know what that plaza is over there i think it's part of the university campus it's actually quite nice down there 
And uh, But again, yeah, the canal is another thing that's been repurposed and, and, and reused again. I mean, if you can imagine all those years ago, just coal barges and, and dirt and grime and real industrial places but again they're being reused and uh, they're having new life breathed into them as well until you mentioned the coal offices it never occurred to me that that whole business of providing coal for the railways must have been an enormous logistical operation absolutely yeah the coal would primarily come from newcastle in the north on barge obviously so it would take a long time and then offloaded to power the trains so what was there a big pile of coal somewhere around there i imagine there must have been yeah I mean, this particular building that we can see in front of us now, this was an actual coal office for the Great Northern, because a lot of the railway companies back then, as well as running passenger services, they also were involved in freight and, and coal in particular. A long way down from Newcastle, but the canal was full of barges. And interesting as well, the, the actual London canal network was actually built by essentially the same, the navvies, the same group of people that actually built the original uh, Metropolitan Line, underground lines as well. So there's a connection with the with the history of the London Underground there as well. So. Uh, I, do you know what? I've never thought to question it until now. What is a navvy? It's a navigator, because they're the people who navigated the building of the canals. And they were mainly out-of-work tin miners from Cornwall and Ireland as well, and they were employed to do the back-breaking, horrible work of building the canals, and then they were sort of exploited to a large extent by the railways, uh, because they knew that these guys would work for cheap. They didn't mind doing back-breaking, horrible work. And they're the guys that, by hand, dug the original cut-and-cover lines of the London Underground, and a future generation of, uh, of the navvies would, would also construct the deep-level tube lines, you know, literally digging by hand and, and tool way, way, way below London. Very dangerous, dangerous work. I'm not sure they actually had a particular skill, but it was just manpower. Well, presumably, it's no small thing to be able to dig in a straight line underground because you'd lose uh, you'd lose your bearings, wouldn't you? There must be a little bit of a technique to that. Absolutely, especially as we're talking about you know decades and decades before measurement equipment. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of skill there, but I imagine there was some sort of what you'd probably call a surveyor or something today. But uh, I imagine they got paid a lot more than the navvies. We're just coming to the bridge over the canal here. Which way are we going? Uh, this way, if you want. Yeah. That doesn't work on radio. Uh, we'll head towards what is now a, a University of Arts London campus, which again was part of the railway lands before. And you can see here they've... Oh, look at that. Wow. Just seen a swan coming into land, which is very much like an, an Airbus coming into land. Yeah, it was actually. Um, but this is a building that particular, they've, they've left almost, almost how it was. Obviously, they've tarred it up with new windows, etc. But it's, it, this building looks pretty much how it did how it would have done all those years ago and you can even see at the top it's it's quite grimy up there six stories of brown brickwork and you can see the places where the winches and pulleys would have been to take goods up to those upper doors and there's a building there uh, to the left of the university campus which actually has a hole in the roof and uh, the windows are still bricked up so i imagine that's still one of the old train yard buildings that they haven't finished uh, developing yet well, well, actually, it's a prime example of, of how all this whole area looked until they started redeveloping. There's a, literally a solidity about it. But there's something kind of reassuring as well. Yeah, exactly. It's solid. It's lasted for a long time and will be here for the foreseeable future. Now, I'm not sure whether we're seeing tram lines or rail lines here, but as far up the courtyard as we can see, there are dual tracks. And they come down to what I guess must be one of those platforms, one of the circular platforms for turning a train or a tram around. Yeah, I imagine this would have been part of very basic internal railway route within the site, because uh, obviously this would have been sidings as well, but there, there may have been sort of a, 
low-tech railway or perhaps actually perhaps this was actually for the main sidings because as you mentioned there was what looks to be a uh what it's called now crossover point where for turn the point so yeah this must have actually been some sort of working railway to and from the sidings this here particular uh, in front of us now we can see what is an old train shed and again even you know 10 years ago if people are familiar with the area used to go by york road uh from king's cross onwards and you could see this whole area was these train sheds just rotten and decaying overgrown and now they've they've repurposed it they've kept the train shed roof and this is what i love about it it's, it's got that real whether people notice it or not it's got that real they've maintained that connection to what this area used to be so this place is seriously cool it is it is actually yeah it makes you wish you were a student again actually <laughs> well hang on this tells me all i need to know about being a student at this place they've got a, an on-site waitrose yeah and on-site ping pong tables things have changed since i went to university now, tell me if the experience was the same for you, but when I was at university, you would make a Tesco value can of baked beans last as long as possible. Yeah, or a pack of super noodles. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Which I haven't eaten for a long time, I'm glad to say. And if you were really skint, you'd, you'd put half of the sachet in the super noodles and you'd keep the other half for a delicious soup at some later point. Yeah, and same with pizzas as well. You'd eat the pizza cold two days later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning to, to lose sympathy for the students yeah. and their student loan problems. Yeah, me too slowly slowly coming towards the end of the rail tracks here they've been cobbled it's difficult to say what was the original and what's the more recent uh, the thing that's interesting about this part of the site is uh, a lot of London list listeners will probably be used uh, already know about the various disused tube stations but there is a lovely example here we can actually see it just beyond it's the old station building of York Road which was a station on uh, what became the Piccadilly line. Oh, yes. And you can see it's a lovely, familiar red brick building, red tile building. Now, yes. can you remind me, we've got all the Art Deco ones around the city, yeah. but this one belongs to that other big generation of tube stations, doesn't it? It's much more ornate. It looks a little bit more fantasaical. Yeah, it's the red terracotta. I'm colourblind, so I think it's red terracotta <laughs> tile design. <laughs> are you, uh, what, are you, what are you seeing that? Do you, you've no idea. It's reddish. It looks ready, sort of burgundy terracotta type colour to me. That's what it is, apparently. <laughs> just, just for a control, you see this enormous picture of leaves that they've got on the hoarding outside this building. What colour are the leaves? Green. Okay. <laughs> it's usually just between a pink, dark red, and dark blue I have struggled with at times. I'm, I'm easy to play snooker against, put it that way. Pink and dark red? Yeah. That's a very unusual sort of colour blindness, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Is it possible to be racist if you're you? <laughs> it's quite difficult. <laughs> Bloody burgundy people. <laughs> so I've completely lost my bearings now. Which road are we emerging onto? This is uh, York Road, so York Way, sorry. So King's Cross is just, just by down there. And this is heading, what, north? Yeah, this is heading towards... Uh, the hybrid Cam- direction. Yeah, Cam- well, Camden more. Right. Yeah, kind of approved. We've got, uh, I think they're meant to be oak leaves, or maple leaves maybe, in profusion all over the hoarding outside this building works. And you know some building sites try all sorts of visual tricks to conceal what they're up to. Like some of them will put a hoarding that has a representation of a completed building on it, so that it all looks nice and tidy. Yeah. I think I, I approve of more greenery. What a mess it is in there. That looks like another five-storey tower. That's worth noting that a lot of the towers are restricting themselves, it seems. There's no real skyscrapers. 
No, I mean, that's a common rule across London where a lot of the time buildings can't be a certain height. I'm not sure what the significance of that here is. Maybe because it maybe blocks out St Pancras King's Cross. I'm not sure. Maybe it's based on demand. But, yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah. So we can see one, two, three. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Four towers under construction from here. And now here we are, we're approaching it, and uh, actually it's dwarfed by the architecture around it. Yeah. It looks like, it really does look like a lost object. Yeah, it is, and what's a real shame is that you can see the faint lettering of the York Road station, but that was originally proper lettering, but someone's uh, at some point has, has removed it, so it would have been a lot more kind of well-preserved than that. It's a shame, really. Well, you think they've... Uh half-inched it do you so that they yeah. can have the words York Road Station in their kitchen? More than likely, yeah. So this was York Road tube station on the Piccadilly line. It was never really well used, which is one of the reasons why it closed down. But it does explain today why there's a big gap if you catch the Piccadilly line between King's Cross St Pancras and Caledonian Road. It's because 
that's where the station would have been midway through. And trains actually do go through the platforms today, and there is a few things you can see from if you really peer into the darkness. But it's a beautiful building. It's one of the kind of better preserved disused tube stations, but it's it's in sort of a forgotten about location. It was a printing works for a while, I believe, but that seems to have closed down now as well. Well, with all this development going on behind us, and if any decent proportion of these are meant for people to live in this suddenly becomes quite a useful station doesn't yep. it? yep there's been talk a few times of it possibly being reopened because as you say it's it's a great location the actual high speed one train line to paris runs feet away basically and it would make perfect sense but if if these developments are housing which it looks like some some of it is or students or whatever it is you think it, there'd be use for it so i think that's probably the reason why it's actually intact because transport for london or whoever owns it it's potentially got that in mind at any moment, I guess. But yeah, it would make sense to bring it back into use. Now, I know you're quite keen on getting into abandoned stations whenever you can. Have you been in here? I haven't been in here, no. In fact, despite writing a book on them, there's very few that I have actually been in, which is uh, always a, a cause of frustration. How does it work? How do you, how do you get into them? Well, how do you not get into them in I'm, your case? I'm too much of a goody-goody two-shoes to do any urban exploring the proper guys who actually somehow get into these places we won't go into that too much that's not for me but now to to be honest uh, the London Transport Museum does actually these days run tours to a lot of these buildings it was originally just Oldwich which is probably the most famous disused station in central London but in the last year or so they've actually opened up a lot more of these things so so who knows maybe at some point there may be a chance to go in there legitimately but so I had a chance to go down head down street uh, which was uh, another one of the more famous disused tube stations near Hyde Park, but that fell through. Oh, yeah, we don't know. I, I that just was, remember I that was with you, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, we got stood up royally, but now I don't, I don't know whether we should... I don't want to give him the publicity, actually. No, no, I don't either. Um, but that station is actually one of the ones that London Transport Museum do, do tours to now, so I will be able to get down there at some point. Well moving down there I mean I I don't need to tell you with the audio background you've got there there are building works going on nearby and cranes are plenty I think if I had any sense I'd be in the crane hire business (laughs) seems to be a booming business I'm really impressed I don't know if you saw them when they were putting the Olympics up but we seem to have reached a new generation of cranes look like they belong in Star Trek actually on one of those orbiting space stations fixing up the USS Enterprise so you've got a vehicle and it goes up in a straight line and then it bends around in all sorts of different directions and seems to be capable of any manner of articulation that you care to employ it to do and you get a whole load of these working on things and it's like lots of giant mechanical seaweed washing around over the structure and just kind of organically putting it together so I wanted to ask you with with your whole abandoned tube station I know there's been one or two serious attempts to turn them into viable ventures of other sorts apart from you know what they use for at the moment film locations and that kind of stuff but to turn them into hotspots. And there doesn't really seem to be a lot of that going on. I wonder what the reason is for that. It's tricky because, first of all, any any structure that someone wants to redevelop costs a lot of money. But when you're talking about something that's underground and they usually have a huge lift shaft in them, which is uh, literally a gaping hole, there's uh, so much work to do. It's very expensive. But I think the reason why a lot of proje- uh, projects, proposals to turn tube stations into something different fall down is for kind of firstly for operational reasons because all the disused tube stations are actually working emergency exits for tube stations for the tube lines that run now so they all have a use as an emergency exit so 
transport for London to lose that means they're actually using a legitimate means of people exiting if there's an emergency. So there's operational reasons there, but also I think Transport for London and whoever owns these buildings, they know what they've got and they know that it's actually precious real estate. And I think if something's going to be used for them, they probably want to do it themselves, which kind of makes sense. And as well, what I mentioned earlier on about the tours, uh, there's a lot of tours that you can go down to some of these buildings now and they sell out really fast. So there's money to be made there as well. So I think it's a mixture of it's just difficult to do, it's uh, they're actually used and they know what they've got. So you raised the delicious prospect of TFL running nightclubs at some point. Yeah, that'd be that'd be quite something. The song pumping away and then stopping, and an announcement coming on that they've got to wait a few moments to regulate the service. Yes, have to wait twenty minutes for the next song to come on. <laughs> but there have been some interesting proposals. It's just you know whether they actually happen. I mean, the deep level shelters, which were a network of platforms that were built below existing platforms originally to form a sort of an express service on on what is the Northern Line now, and they were actually most of them are used for shelters. No, so, no, wait a minute an express service on the northern line what do you mean like an elite northern line yes so basically the deep level shelters were as they're called there's eight of them they're known mainly now for being used as shelters for air raids in World War 2 but their actual original concept was there was to be a kind of express route which would bypass some of the stations and only stop at the more important ones so most of the deep level shelters are actually built approximately under existing tube platforms like Camden etc um, and that was their original purpose but then that got halted by the outbreak of war and then they used for shelters and that's the history that most people associate them with now they a few of them have been used for years now as data storage uh, because it's it's the right conditions and obviously it's safe and secure so that is an example of something that you know can be reused uh, for, for some of it's got a lot of value but it remains to be seen whether some of the more kind of fun uses that people are proposing for tube stations will ever actually happen. Presumably it could be that they could get those express services happening one day. What do you think of that as an idea? I guess it will probably use a lot of congestion on on, on the tracks and speed up some people's journeys but you you have to remember though that the actual connecting tunnels where the running tracks would have been were never actually constructed so so there'll be a a heck of a lot of work to do there. Hmm. Uh, How how much stuff gets built underneath uh, tube lines though? Uh, well, you have to remember that, especially in central London, a lot of tube uh, lines pass under. Like, if you take something such as Oxford Circus, it's a whole complicated network of things that you don't see of lines passing each other. Sometimes, in some stations, you can hear the lines above your head or below your head. So there's a there's a, a lot of running lines above and below other running lines, but probably not a whole lot built actually below stations that isn't related to the running of lines. Matt Brown did a fantastic post, and I wish I'd paid more attention, no retention whatsoever, but he did a fantastic article, do look it up, about how deep London goes. Mm, I remember seeing it myself, yeah. Yeah, I wish I could remember what is under the tube. Maybe nothing. We've sort of halted a little bit because there's a film crew down there and we're going to wander right across there, but I couldn't help noticing across the way here, since we're talking about some of the derelict uh, or semi-derelict or repurposed industrial stuff, something quite interesting going on over yonder. So we're looking beyond... The Hyundai Fan Dome. I've no idea what that is. Uh, well, this is like an inflatable structure with angels on it and uh, angels carrying footballs. I presume this is for watching the TV. And over yonder, though, we can see what looks like some railway arches and what's left of the roofing. It looks as though it's been cut in half and then the end has been secured in some way. Any ideas on that? I think that's still part of the railway lines, but just beyond that, we can see, which is actually, I believe, yeah, that would be on the other side of the canal is two of the new developments that are being built inside uh, gas holder frames. And you can actually see from where we are, there's uh, 
sort of the first tier of uh, steel structure pieces of, of two of the original gas holder frames from the Pancras Gasworks, which was a, a really big gasworks that was here a long time ago. Because it's funny, because people you know associate this with the railway lands and the, and the dereliction that was behind here, but people don't really realise that it was all, the gasworks was huge. You know, most of them were, and this was one of the biggest, owned by the big company that owned most of the gasworks in London. And you know, this would have employed uh, hundreds of people doing a very dirty job. This is sounding like a prime target for the Luftwaffe. <laughs> yes, you're. Yeah, that's it's, uh, it's not a bad shout actually. In fact, you say, it's funny you should say that because. Some of the bigger power stations, they stopped burning coal during that period because, as you say, the, the, the smoke that would emanate from the chimneys was actually a, a clear target. Well, let's start dodging back towards the station now. I don't want to go through the Hyundai fandom, not based on what's been going on overseas. I, I think football fans is the last thing we need. Apparently there's a football tournament going on here. So. <laughs> Should we have an outbreak of violence just to commemorate it? Yeah, why not? I'll prod you with my microphone. <laughs> It's, it's absolutely shameful, it really is. I mean, it's a football game at the end of the day, and it's just... I know it's the minority, but it's its enough. Enough people to make it embarrassing, so... I'm in mind that this conversation might be being broadcast either just before or just after the referendum vote. But as we're in the lead-up to the referendum, I'm conscious that as a nation we're making lots of disagreeable noises as far as our European neighbours are concerned and we're going around and beating up members of the general public and disgracing ourselves on the streets of France there must be a, a bit of the European mind that's thinking uh, get lost yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, it's uh, not very well timed is it at the moment certainly not the first time it's happened either no I really thought we were done with all that though I remember I was in Europe quite a lot around the turn of the millennium and wherever I went people would free associate England with hooligans straight away. That's the first thing we seem to think of. Yeah. I hate the idea that we're back there. Genuinely embarrassing, it really is. Oh, actually, I've just noticed we missed that. That's another bit of one of the gas holders as well. Can you see it? That's, uh, I think that's one of the ones that's been brought back. Or maybe just a section of it. Well, we found a little oasis of quiet around here. Landscaped, greenery, meadow flowers, artfully planted, curved benches and white rows. Overlooking it, Waitrose really seems to dominate this area. It does, yeah, <laughs> it really does. It uh, seems to dominate every area now. We're next to the House of Illustration. I think there's a great cachet in having a Waitrose nearby, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. yeah, I think your house price probably increases yeah. if if it goes up. We should say just in closing. I don't know if you want to give this away. But you've not so long ago moved from one part of London to another, haven't you? That's correct. Yeah, I was living in North London, and now I've moved south of the river, so I'm now a South Londoner. Defected. Yeah, which is a. Uh, took a while to get used to, uh, mainly getting used to using mainline trains rather than the tube. In fact, I actually don't really use the tube at all anymore, which is quite weird because everybody who I know seems to like to call me a tube nerd, uh, <laughs> and I don't actually use it at all anymore. So It's fine. I mean, I use the railway company that's always voted either bottom or second bottom in terms of customer satisfaction, but fingers crossed it's actually not too bad on the line that I use. And my journey in central London every day is about 18 minutes, so it's, it's pretty comparable to a lot of people's tube journeys anyway so it's just different you know it's different when you go on the tube and you're used to one being there every few minutes if you miss one there's one a few minutes later when you start using mainline trains you have to catch a certain train and you get in such a routine of seeing the same people on the same train every day but uh, I'd love to live in London North London still but we wanted to buy and there was no way we could justify North London prices so, so yeah it's different but I'm used to it now one of the experiences that tells me 
A, I'm a Londoner, and B, I'm in London, is that one where you go onto a tube platform, and it might be on a Sunday or later on in the evening, and you look up at the describer board and it says six minutes until the next train. And there's a little thing in your heart that goes, oh, six minutes, you're kidding. And, and some people get really agitated and have to perform their irritation yeah. and, and tap their foot and sigh in the general direction of whoever's there. I'm one of them people, yeah. Oh, no, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I made a promise to myself that I would not associate with people of that sort. It's the longest six minutes ever. It's really frustrating. Because at least now the trains I have to catch, they're scheduled for a certain time. So if you have to wait six minutes, it's because it's six minutes late rather than... Uh, six minutes when it says it's going to be so so what happens if you go on the platform then and it does the awful that 10 minutes or 14 minutes do you get a, a small atomic explosion between your ears absolutely and everybody around is doing the same explosion as well you get uh, a lot of angry people on uh, mainline train platforms more so in the tube i'd say so <laughs> everyone just becomes like five-year-olds don't they they sit yeah. down on the bench well i suppose i'll just stay here yeah. forever then i don't care what people say it definitely always happens on a monday morning when it's raining more than any other day <laughs> So there you go. We're going to finish up, but we just were looking uh, over this manicured Teletubbies-like uh, landscape here, and well, it's rather curious actually. There's a, so there's a, an ominous-looking black building there. It looks like that was made in 2007 to be a computer company's headquarters, and in front of it, completely incongruously, are more remains of an old gas holder. I don't. It looks like that. That's maybe all they're doing there. It's a bit pathetic, to be yeah. honest. They haven't kept a, a ring, they've just kept three pillars yeah, yeah. and two connective girders. Yeah, and that looks like that's going to be all of it. But it, this, this reminds me very much, you know when you go to a place and there's a, the National Trust is advertising that place on the strength of its abbey, and you go there and there's one small wall with a, a rubbish window in it, and that is the abbey. Yes. I think that's what the gas holder is here yes yes similar sort of effect yeah i'm not sure about that one it doesn't doesn't quite work for me but what they've done elsewhere on the site is uh, is quite impressive although i'm not really sure i'd want to live in a expensive apartment inside well i'm curious now because actually there's there is a little structure there and that almost looks like that could be one person's house yeah. and it's essentially on a traffic island stuck behind these three columns that's very peculiar i believe that was actually a petrol station before that yeah i think it was I believe that was a petrol station that which briefly became a diner of some sort the last time I came down here, and then now it looks to be that. So, I think we may have found one of the most confused buildings in yeah, London. Absolutely, yeah. And it's where we must end today, for no good reason other than time tells us it must be so. If you would like to pick up a copy of one of Ben Pedroche's books, a reminder of their name and their location. Do Not Like Here is the one about disused tube stations and London's lost power stations and gasworks is quite self-explanatory. And then my... What's it, what's it about? <laughs> uh, funny enough, lost power stations and gasworks. Oh. And uh, my third book was called Work in the Underground, London Underground, which is about how the underground is run and maintained. for the 150th anniversary in 2013, so it's uh, a history of sort of workers and how it was built and how it's maintained from the start right up to... 150th anniversary. BenPedroche.com is where I kind of don't update as much as I should do, but on, on Twitter as well, just search for Ben Pedroche and you can find me there talking rubbish most of the time. <laughs> well, thanks very much for taking the time today. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Ben Pedroche. Thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm N. Quentin Wolfe.
front door. 